Welcome to the Responsible Podcast. Your host, Stanley J. Targos III, is the founder of the Responsible Brand and the Responsible Network. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome back, everybody. This is Stanley J. Targos III with The Responsible Brand. We've got a great podcast today and some great content. It's called My Money is Intimate and Emotional. And the fact is, those are both true statements. My money is super emotional for me and my family, and it's intimate for me and my family. When I walk into a party, it's not the first thing that I'm broadcasting, how much money I have in my pocket, how much money I have in the bank, how much money I've earned in the last year, what my adjusted gross income is. All of those things are meant to be designed for me and my wife to be something that we talk about, that we focus, that we keep secret until we find the right people that we need to share it with. It's emotional because it's not just a dollar. A dollar for me is not 100 pennies. A dollar for me is worth so much more. One, I worked for it or my wife worked for it and we've earned it and now we have the job of keeping it and God calls us to be good stewards of the gifts that we have and that's one of those precious, precious things that we really need to be a good steward of. I think the Bible talks about money more than almost anything else. While this isn't a a Dave or Rick or Susie talk about money and the relationship to the Bible, I do know that a lot of people think that the love of money is, is evil and it's really when you place money ahead of other things that it's an issue. So we're not gonna spend our time talking about that, but we are gonna talk about why money is so emotional and intimate for me and for my family. It's it's amazing because it's not just an amount that I've earned. When I look at $100 or $200 or $10,000, I see something different than a, a dollar sign with some numbers after it. I'm going to go back to the to my first job. Well, my first job, I made $3.35 an hour. And it's the first time I really had perspective for what something meant to me. And $10 back then wasn't just $10. When I wanted to go buy something for $10, bucks, uh, uh, I don't know what you could buy for $10 bucks in 1984, but something, some candy, some Slurpees, go out to eat, go to McDonald's with my friends, whatever the, whatever it was. It wasn't just $10. $10 was three hours of my life to earn before taxes or four hours of my life after taxes. So 10 bucks wasn't just 10 bucks. 10 bucks was a decision. It was, do I want to spend another three to four hours of my life to replace that $10? Is that thing that I'm getting worth three to four hours of my life? So money represents time. It also represents a goal. When I was in uh, freshman in high school, I wanted to buy a water ski, a slalom water ski. My Aunt Sylvie had bought this awesome water ski, and, and I saw it, and it was the first one that wasn't handed down from the 70s or 60s, the wooden ones with the little rubbery flesh on it. It had this big foam ankle guard. It had a sweet fin on it. It was painted the right way. It was beautiful. It was an excellent design. When she would water ski, the rooster tail would fly. And I thought that that ski made all the difference in the world. So I wanted to save my money to buy a water ski. My mom and dad agreed and said, if you save a certain amount, of course, you're not going to take everything that you earn and apply it towards the ski. You've got to have money for living and for giving and for saving and for all of that great stuff. So when I had the opportunity to buy that ski, 
I was accumulating 180 or $200, which in 1989 or 1990 was a, was a lifetime for me. That was an unsurmountable amount of money. And my mom and dad thought that was dumb to spend that much money on a water ski. But if you want to go for it, go for it. I mean, you're going to be buying big ticket items in the near future, like cars and car insurance and other things. So start with a $200 goal. So that goal, when my friend said, Stan, we're going to go do this dance and it's going to cost five bucks to get in or we're going to go after the dance to the party and spend 15 bucks on food or or we're going to go here and we need four bucks for gas money and this and everything went back to that goal and I made decisions based on my money for the emotion of achieving that goal and buying that slalom water ski or not and how much time it would take me to replace the dollars that were spent. So goals, it's emotional for me. Options. If I spend all my money and I'm down to $8 in my in my accounts and something comes up, I don't have the option to do it. And again, I spent, everyone spent a lot of money in their lifetime. I can't nickel and dime every decision that I do make, but I can start building some savings, some funds, and some dollars that are dedicated for options and opportunities. And for me, that's a big deal. When I started my career after college, my business partner and I bought a house and then we bought another house and then we were going to rent them and we were spending thousands of dollars like it was nothing. And I thought when I had the opportunity to buy eBay or Red Hat at a buck or three bucks or 15 bucks a, a, a share, I didn't have the thousands of dollars to do it because I took thousands of dollars and put it into this property that I was going to rent. So I didn't have the opportunity to do something. I didn't have options. I made a decision and I was locked into that decision. Everything else was not an option for me because I didn't have the money for it. Money's emotional that way. It's be, it builds my ability to feel like I have some freedom to do different things. Take vacations, not take vacations. Upgrade the house, not upgrade the house. Send my kids to the right school, send my kids to the wrong school. Get the right medical care, don't get the right medical care. Be able to help a family member or a loved one. All of those things are options that I want the ability to do. If I have the desire to do it, I want to do it. It's emotional because it represents success. And I never thought about this before, but I'm emotionally tied to my, to my money because it does represent the success that I have. It represents success. This next one is huge in my family's confidence in me. If they're constantly looking at me as, as underperforming because I don't have money, that plays on my psyche, that plays on my comfort, that plays on my quote man card or a quote woman card, whatever it is. That plays on my success and how I view myself. Other people might look at me and say, Stan, you're doing fantastic. You've got a house, you've got two cars, you've got a lawn, it's mowed on a regular basis. You, you tithe and you give it the church because you want to. You're able to help people out with a couple hundred bucks here and there when they ask for it. But in my mind, I'm thinking there's so many other things that I want and deserve and need. And people don't live my life every day and hear the conversations that happen in my house. And for sure, they don't hear the conversations that happen in my head. And that's the worst place to be. Blair Singer talked about little voice management in the, in the early 2000s and the late 90s. And that impacted me because what I tell myself in my head impacts my outward actions, my outward attitude, my outward desires. So I have to control that little voice management to maintain my own confidence based on what I'm providing for my family and not get in the habit of comparing it to what other people think of me 
or what they view my success should be. So it's emotional because that's the benchmark for my spot in life. I'm 48 years old. Based on 48 and, and the talking heads on TV, I should have half a million dollars saved. I should have my house paid off. I should have my kid's college fund ready to go. I should, should, should. I need to stop shooting on myself based on what everyone else thinks. And I need to start believing that God has me in the right place where I'm at today for what I need to do moving forward for me and my family. So all of those are emotional components that drive my ability to make good decisions or bad decisions. And the responsible brand is valuable because we have this unique ability to take the emotion out of the money and to actually breathe life and confidence into you based on where you're at. Where you're at in this point in your life, where you're at financially, where you're at in your career, where you're at with the decisions that were made in the past, where you're at with coming through trauma. We're able to give you unemotional perspective for what you could be doing with your decisions moving forward and the impact that it has in the next 5, 7, 10, 12 years. So you're not repeating the same cycle of making emotional decisions to protect yourself against people who don't think about you as much as you think about yourself. Why am I trying to impress people I don't even care about? That baffles me. But that's what emotion does. Emotion gets me to a place where I feel like I need to make certain decisions to impress people that I don't care about. The only person I need to impress is myself, my wife, my kids, and I need to be carry character and integrity with those decisions so that I'm not compromising my conscience. And those are big statements. Those are big words. And those are big things to understand. People want to treat money like it's unemotional. Oh, just why don't you throw 100000 at it? Why don't you throw 50000 at it? Why don't you throw 10000 at it? Why don't you just fix it? It's only 2200 bucks. Well, yeah, that 2200 bucks to you is not, is not valuable because it's not your money. It's real easy for me to spend someone else's money. When I meet someone who just sold a business for $100 million, I think, why don't they invest a million dollars in my business? They got $100 million. Well, they didn't get that way by throwing money away for everyone who needs something. They got that way by making good decisions and figuring out how to have a system so they could take the emotion out of it and make good decisions based on what they need, what God's put in their heart, what their goals are, what their intentions are, and what they have to protect and provide for for the promises they've already made. I don't know if they've made promises for people that are going to represent 90% of that money and that $100 million number that I see is really only worth $2.5 million to them. I don't know that. And it's not fair for me to judge them based on what I think is a lot. Just like it's not fair for people to judge me based on what they think is a lot or what they think is a little. I determine those numbers on my own, with my wife, as a family. We decide that together because it's emotional and I don't want to make decisions that create stress and anxiety in the lives of my kids and my wife or myself. So what about the intimacy? Is money intimate? Well, money by itself isn't intimate, but how it works in my life is intimate. And that makes it vulnerable for me to share with other people, which is why money is one of the most taboo topics out there. You don't walk into a Christmas party and talk about how your life, how your 
life is not going the way you want it to go and how your retirement account is underfunded by quarter million dollars or how you're about to file bankruptcy, those are intimate details. But if you're working with a responsible brand person who you bring to the table, they are going to have some intimate discussions. And I love our, our process. We've gone through 15 or 20 years of finding out the right questions to ask so that we can get a holistic picture of what's important to you so we can give a solution to you that makes sense to you. That does require taking the emotion out of the decisions, taking the emotion out of the value, and being vulnerable enough to be intimate if you trust the person you're talking to isn't going to take advantage of you. And with money, it seems like everyone gets taken advantage of because everyone's greedy. What most often happens is even though we're good people, we impose the worst on others around us, especially when it comes to money. You know, the emotional side of things is my, my dad, when my dad passed away, this isn't not me. This is what I hear. My dad passed away and, and bought me this Apple stock, and so I'm not going to sell it because it's my, my dad bought it for me. Well, if that represents 1% of your total portfolio, keep it for the emotional value. But did your dad buy you that stock so that you can look at that stock and put it on the wall and talk about the ticker price? Or did he buy that stock for you to do something and impact your life? I talked to someone who's been sitting on a, 85% of their financial portfolio was an inherited stock. And I said, listen, you need to sell some of that because 85% of your portfolio is tied up in something you don't have control over, but the emotional connection to their dad gave it to them was so strong they couldn't get over it. The interesting thing is a few years later, that stock went from being worth a lot of money to being worth a dollar a share. And that, and that person had that emotional connection to it and they realized that they should have sold it when it was worth something because that's what being a good steward of that gift is. But they can't beat themselves up over being emotionally connected to it for that reason. Let someone who's not emotional make suggestions and then do what's right. Don't put yourself in a position where you're going to take that money and go down to the casino and waste it. Be a good steward of that gift. So the emotional is connected to the intimate. When I think about the intimate side of things in our fact finder and the discussion that you have with your responsible brand person, we're going to ask questions that feel like they're out of left field, that feel like it's invading your privacy. But again, think about going to your doctor. If you go to your doctor and you say, hey, doc, I've got this uh, bump on my knee and it's been... Uh, growing and growing and you want to go see an orthopedic surgeon who deals with knees if that's the right person to see I don't know I'm guessing and your doctor says before we do that we need to take your blood pressure I want to get some uh, blood samples in I want to test for cholesterol I want to test for lipids I want to test for calcium deposits I want to get an x-ray here and you think doctor I'm here to solve the lump on my knee all of that stuff is not part of what you need to make that's intimate that's personal that's invading my privacy I'm not interested send me to the person I need to see to fix my knee you wouldn't do that because you recognize that if the doctor does the blood work and finds cancer, that they're going to have a different opinion than someone who's just looking at your knee for the lump on it, which you think is a calcium deposit. 
if they find high blood pressure, if they find high cholesterol, if they find everything is normal, if they find low iron, if they do the x-ray and realize that there was a fracture in the knee and you need to get something to solve the fracture in the knee, all of those things come into play. But when it comes to money, we don't want to talk about all the intimate things. Why do you need to know how old my parents are? Why do you need to know if they've got a will or a trust? Why do you need to know if they've got medical durable power of attorneys? Why do you need to know if there's an inheritance? Those are all personal intimate details. I'm not going to share that with you. Well, I need to know that because as you're getting ready to take care of your kid's college education or fund your own unfunded future health care, if you need to have money set aside to take care of your parents, is that some information that I should know as a responsible brand coach? Absolutely. Because if I take all of your money and pay off all of your debt, or take all of your money and put it in your 401k where you don't have access to it till you're 59 and a half and you have a medical emergency with your mom and dad that you need to take care of, you're going to come back to me and say, Stan, why didn't you ask that question? Which you would be wise to do. The problem is, as you're going through it, you start to have that emotional anchor of, man, my parents aren't prepared. It's going to be my burden. I'm not prepared to handle this. Emotionally, I don't want to take care of it. I don't want to tackle it. I'm trying to figure out how to get out of debt and get my kid to college. And you want me to focus on taking care of my parents? That's not part of this discussion. You're right. It's not part of the solution today, but it is part of the discussion. So you're right about it being out of place from some aspect but you're not accurate about it not being part of the discussion because it's connected to the solution for your short-term need, which has a ripple effect on your long-term needs. Stan, why do you need to ask me about my house and my mortgage and am I making an overpayment and what my interest rate is and how long I plan on living there? Well, if you're only planning on living there for five years, why are you making extra payments on the house? Well, emotionally, I need to do it. And the intimacy is I'm trying to get out of debt. And my relationship with, with my program is that I'm doing this for this reason. And now you're going to disrupt my intimacy that I've bought into and believe firmly that I need to do. You're taking away my self-worth and you might tell me to change it. And that's a paradigm shift that I'm not ready to handle yet. But if I'm going to manage your economy in a responsible way and show you how to achieve your goal today the most efficient way possible without repeating the cycle every five or seven years, we need to find out how long you plan on living that home for. Is it a forever home? If it's a forever home, why don't you have a 30-year mortgage at a 3.5% interest rate and make the lowest payment possible so that you can take the rest of your money and let it work for you the right way? Now, how many people today who paid their house off and 2017, wish they could go and get one of those mortgages that were available at three and a half percent two years ago when they've got an emergency need today and interest rates are seven percent and the Fed's going to raise it two more times in the next two months. How do you feel today knowing that you spent good money back then at the cheapest interest rate ever to pay your house off to save interest and you didn't prepare your emergency fund, your retirement account, your Roth IRA, your savings, your kid's college fund, your medical needs or take care of your parents and now there's a need and you need big money and the only place to go to is your house. Was that an intimate conversation that the emotion should have been taken out of? six years ago to put you in a position to handle the need that you were most likely going to need today? Well, that's the value of having someone who's an outsider, who's not emotional, who's going to give you suggestions. It doesn't mean that you have to take all of their suggestions and do everything, but it does mean we can have an educated discussion without emotions and without feeling bad about talking about options and opportunities that are coming down your way. Does it mean that 
what you've done for the last 10 years is what you need to do for the next 10 years? No. Let's go back to health. How many people eat differently today than they did when they were 14? I do. I'm sure you do too. How many people's body metabolizes what they eat different today than it did 30 years ago? So why don't you just eat the same way that you did 30 years ago? Why are you making changes? Why aren't you emotional about it? Because you look in the mirror every day and see that your body is changing in a way that either makes you feel good or doesn't feel good and you want to make changes to get back to feeling good. The problem with money is it's intimacy and it's emotional is not visible until you look at a statement every three to five years. Well, having someone on your side who can ask you what your current need is, what your current problem is, what your current issue is, and connect the dots between how you pay for college, how you take care of your parents, how you help family, how you pay off your house, how you fund your 401k, how you get a tax refund, how you fund your emergency account, how you fund your non-qualified account. Do you put it up to the match on your 401k? Is it Roth-based or not Roth-based? With all of your debts, including your mortgage, your car payment, your student loans, your parent loans, your Visa MasterCard, the HELOC, the home repairs, the window, the furnace, all of those things. Let's put it together and see how it works together and let's make it work the most efficient way for you, your family, and your solution, and your situation. These are all related. They're all connected. It's like saying, I'm only going to solve the high blood pressure issue by reducing salt. In order to reduce the salt that I put on things, I'm going to have a high-fat diet. I'm going to have a high... Uh, processed diet, I'm going to have a high this diet, or I'm going to take all meats and only eat vegetables and not put salt on anything. Well, if you don't have enough salt, you have a reverse issue. If you don't eat proteins, you have an iron issue. But working everything together makes a difference. I used to tell people this, and I love this story. If you went to the doctor and the doctor said, listen, I've got high blood pressure, the doctor said, I got five things you need to do. You need to reduce your salt intake, eat more vegetables, eat less red meat, exercise more, and take this medication. If you went back a year later and said, hey, doc, here's what I did. Instead of my plan, my plan for my high blood pressure was instead of doing the five things you suggested, I just switched from eating regularly salted potato chips on the couch while I watch Sports Center to eating lightly salted potato chips on the couch while I watch Sports Center. Would you solve your problem? No. In fact, you probably compound your problem and for sure you frustrated your taste buds. That's not a solution, but it's the synergy of all five of those things working together in a coordinated effort that allows you to handle your high blood pressure in a way that works for you instead of against you. Money is the same way. All five or six or eight of those things need to work together with synergy, complementing each other so that you can have a good responsible solution that you can walk away with and say, this is what I need to do to put me in a position to walk away winning. But if we walk away and say, man, they got all that information so, so I can be manipulated so that I cannot fund my 401k so that I could buy stocks and bonds on the outside because my stockbroker wants me to buy more stocks and bonds that they can control. That might be accurate, but chances are that's not. Chances are you've got an unhealthy relationship with your money and you've got an emotional connection to it that defines who you are. And because you don't trust yourself with money, you don't trust anyone else who has a solution different than what you've been doing for the last 10, 15, or 20 years. 
And that's hard to hear because that's not just me pointing my finger at you. That's me pointing my finger at me. I do the same thing and I live in this world. And if it's a struggle for me to get that under control, it's got to be a struggle for most people who don't live in this world every day. I've given five or seven people permission to tell me when I'm acting like a fool when it comes to so many things. And money is one of those because I'm too close to it to make good decisions based on my own understanding. It's crazy. It's crazy. They're all connected. If I look at solving my debt issue as taking care of my debt and I make it a silo, it's like only eating unsalted potato chips thinking I'm going to solve my high blood pressure. But we know that it's going to compound the issue and we've talked about it enough. It's going to have a ripple effect on your emergency fund, on the lifestyle you have, the vacations you're able to take, how you fund your Roth and your 401k. If that's your only focus, Great. If you've got everything else in order, then maybe it should be your focus. But if you haven't had someone look at your situation and give you some objective ideas and suggestions to make it better without being emotional about it, you should. And the intimate part, we have to have that because if we don't, we're not being responsible. We don't have the best interest of you at heart if we're not willing to have the tough discussions and ask the tough questions. I would say that's being a coward. If you want me to just sell you a mutual fund, an annuity, life insurance, car insurance, or another product, a 529, great. Go online and buy it. Because then when it doesn't work for you, you have no one to blame but yourself. But if you want something that works, be open to the idea that you're emotional about your money and there's going to be some intimate conversations that might not make sense right now, but you're going to look at in three, five, ten years and say, I'm glad we talked about it then. So it didn't turn into a mountain of an issue that I can't tackle. We want to eliminate future mountains and turn them into future speed bumps that you can handle with success and grace. And we talk about things that are intimate and emotional. Why do you need to know what kind of student my kid is in eighth grade when college is five years away? Because if you're budgeting and preparing for a $25,000 a year in-state public university, but your student is off the chart, 4.0, 100% doing extra credit, bored out of their gourd sitting in class, learning stuff that's two class levels ahead of them because they're so smart, should we maybe plan and prepare to put you in a position to take advantage of a better college that might cost more to specialize and help your student achieve their dreams and goals? Or do you just want to say, that's too intimate about my student. Why do you need to know what their grades are? They're in eighth grade. No, it's connected. It's a reason. Do Why, why is it intimate to know about, on a scale of one to five, How's your parents' health for their ages? On a scale of one to five, five being the best, how's their financial situation? Do you have a tight family? Do you see your siblings on a regular basis? Do you communicate or is it strained? Is it estranged or awkward? That's important. While it might not seem it's important here in the question, but let me break it down for you. If you're tight with your parents, but your brothers and sisters aren't, if your parents are in a medium health or a lower health position, they're older and their financial situation isn't, isn't the best, and they're going to need assistance, which of your siblings are going to show up financially to help them? Should you know that if that's going to be your responsibility to quarterback that? 
Or do you just want to be thrown into the mix at the last minute when mom and dad are at the hospital and they don't have medical durable power attorneys in place? You need to change money or they need $2,000 a month to provide the quality of care that you deem necessary and you have a desire to help them. Would you like to know about that now or at the last minute when you haven't prepared for it? What about your age and your income? Well, Stan, you can tell that I'm middle age. How many years I plan on working is irrelevant. I need to get out of debt today. Why do you need to know how much money I make, my mortgage and everything else? I need to get out of debt today. Well, listen, if you've got 20 years to work, you get a different solution and a different time horizon on when you're out of debt based on what's right for you instead of what's right for the debt collector. If you've got five to seven years left and you're going to retire and your body says you need to retire, I've got a different strategy depending on what the rest of your picture looks like that helps you stay and maintain control while being responsible paying off the debt. So I love when people tell me that it's not, it's not my business. I'm here to solve debt, Stan, and college debt at that. Okay, cool. How many people solved college debt as a silo that wake up 10 years later and have are in bankruptcy court? A lot more than you think. But if they would have had someone who's not emotional and who had the courage to ask the intimate questions and then had the courage to talk through a paradigm shift on their relationship with money 20 years ago, how different would their situation be today? What about asking about a legacy? Do you have a desire to leave a legacy to your kids or grandkids? Man, I'm trying to figure out how to get out of debt today and pay for my kids' college. Why are you talking about that? It's not even an option. Well, if you could leave a legacy to your kids or grandkids without affecting your lifestyle during retirement, would you do it? What I'm looking for is a yes or no. That tells me a lot about what you need. And then when you get a solution that has a death benefit attached to it, don't tell me I'm trying to sell you life insurance. That's the most efficient way to leave a legacy to kids or grandkids without involving Uncle Sam. So based on your goals and your needs and what you tell me determines, do I suggest a Roth IRA? Do I suggest a savings account? Do I suggest emergency fund, a money market, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, insurance, uninsurance? I don't know what you need. And when I make the suggestion, be open to the idea that the suggestion was made because it's the most efficient way to solve your problem today without impacting your future. So a lot of people come to the table and say, Stan, I want to solve debt. And I want to say, listen, Biblically, it says, take the roots out. Don't just cut off the top of the weeds. If you cut the top of the weeds off, they regrow. I want to take the roots out. I don't want to solve the symptom. I want to cause, I want to solve the root cause. So let's take this opportunity to be open enough. You're, if you're willing enough and the pain was big enough and you had enough urgency to show up for the conversation, be bold enough to stick through the solution and ask questions. Don't turtle and call, crawl back in your shell and say they just wanted to sell me a, a stock, a bond, a mutual fund, or something else. No, they don't. Well, some do. Most don't. We push at the responsible brand to have a third party design the solution so that you don't have the fear of your responsible brand coach designing something that's commission-based. We do that on purpose. 
Our case design team takes all the emotion out of it, just looks at the numbers, looks at your situation, and plays Tetris with your numbers to come up with a solution that meets your goals, your priorities, and your objectives. We take the emotion out of it. We solve the problem. And we let you choose what fits. And if it doesn't fit, that's okay. You have my permission to say no. You have my permission to make decisions that meet your criteria and your lifestyle. You have my permission to call your responsible brand person back and question why something is brought up. You also have my permission to review honestly the discussions that were had and see where you need to fix things. Because the truth is, if, we're identi if our identity is based on our money and our perception of others' view of how we handle money, that's not healthy. My identity is not in my bank account, my credit score, my balance in my retirement, or where my kids go to college. My identity is in Christ. My identity is in what he wants me to do. My identity is with my family. When someone tells me something that I don't want to hear, my knee-jerk reaction is to turn and run. But within seconds, I come back and say, why are you telling me that? What do you see that I don't? And I don't successfully do that all the time, but I'm getting better at it. Most of the people that I've given permission to breathe life into me have my best intentions at heart when they make suggestions, which means I need to trust them. Doesn't mean I need to move everything all at once and disrupt 18 things in my life tomorrow. It means I can take it in bite-sized pieces. I can tackle it one step at a time. I can test and measure. I can try a little bit before I jump all in. But as I think about money is, my money is intimate and emotional, that's a big issue. The reason why people don't talk about it is because they've been told not to talk about it. We need to change that paradigm. And at the Responsible Brand, we're creating an environment and a responsible community where people can get together and discuss what's working, what's not working, the mistakes they made in an open environment on an open platform where we're not judging people for making mistakes, but we're encouraging them to help others not make the same mistake. Don't start something and stop it in six months and say it didn't work. You didn't work. Give the program an honest effort. If it needs to change, your responsible brand coach can tell you what safety nets and levers you can pull to adjust it. Life's going to happen. One thing we know for sure, the minute you start a plan, it's outdated. Because the minute you design it, life's already changed. It's the best estimate of what you want moving forward with the best information we have at the time. And the way to get the most best current up-to-date information is to ask all of the questions in an in an informative way, in a conversational way that allows us to find out what's important to you so we don't impose our values on you. See, the TV shows want to impose their values on you and they want to put pressure on you and they want to create urgency and they want to give you fear so you make decisions that benefit them. We don't want that. We don't need that. We need to have good discussions that help you make decisions that put you in the driver's seat so that you can move forward. Remember the goal in our mission statement to change the landscape of America one family at a time by empowering the leader to make decisions based on facts, not fear? Well, that starts by being bold enough and courageous enough to have tough conversations. We're grateful that you're willing to do that. I hope this helps. And as you jump into the process, you know what to expect. Part of the process. 
It's just what has to happen to have a good, responsible solution. So I hope you take this information. I hope it was helpful for you. I hope you take and share this with others who need to hear this. I hope you have a great day and God bless you. Thank you for tuning in. For new and relevant information just like this, follow us wherever you get your podcasts and interact with the responsible community on all social media platforms. We'll see you soon.